everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for episode five of season six of the Revise and Resubmit podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine, Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Boland, an assistant professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama. And we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA. So I feel like we'd be doing our listeners a disservice if we didn't start off this conversation with a question. So here's a question. When you think about how you might communicate with, say, a good friend, and let's just go with me, or a family member or a colleague about a more sensitive topic or a challenging topic, what type of planning do you do before that conversation? Do you think the conversation through or are you more of an impromptu, let's just sort of see how it goes? Um, Okay, so for me, I just avoid it until... (laughs) Hopefully that topic is forgotten or something else comes up. Duh. I mean, it is, I, I heard that's the healthy thing <laughs> to do. Uh, right. Uh, so I have taken a couple of conflict negotiation classes um, and apparently not the right thing to do. So I'm learning a lot. Um, and I hope that I do like, some thinking in advance about like, you know, what other people's are, who might be impacted, uh, things like that. And then I pause maybe before I start hollering. And I kid, I never holler. Holler. What about you? Um, this is a great, great question. And I think for me, it comes down to who it is I have to talk to and what the topic is. And I have to say that I did learn a lot from this leadership development program that you and I just went through about ways to navigate more challenging topics with colleagues. And I believe I now have better strategies for those types of conversations, which are inevitable. But when we're talking about how to have those conversations on a more personal level, like how I might communicate with a partner or a family member, I definitely struggle the most with how to structure the conversation in a way that communicates support rather than an attack. So I'm probably in avoidance mode as well. I was going to say avoidance. It seems like the it's not the best strategy, but it's a strategy. <laughs> I mean, you're right. So these conversations are not easy at all. But our next guest studies just this type of topic. So we're joined today by Dr. Jacqueline Shetterly, who is an assistant professor of communication studies at the University of Alabama. And her research examines the ways that people can provide social support when their partner has been the victim of sexual violence. So it's not an easy topic, but it is certainly an important one, given what we know about the statistics involving sexual assault. And while the topic does seem heavy, we also talk about a lot of fun stuff, too. So we definitely want you to join us in welcoming Jacqueline to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jacqueline. We are thrilled to be able to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Okay, so Jacqueline, we start off the podcast with a couple quick uh, questions. Um, Don't think too hard. Um, So the first question is, where are you from? 
I am from Muskegon, Michigan, on the west side of Michigan. Okay, so that uh, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask our listeners and you to put up their mitten hands. Yes. And <laughs> where where in the mitten is that? Um, if you if you're looking at your mitten hand, there's this like long line that's not attached to the seven on your hand. If you follow that all the way over to the left, that's where Muskegon is. It's on Lake Michigan. Amazing. And what is it that you do now? So not like in your free time, but like what's your profession <laughs> that you are doing at this moment? Um, sorry, you said what am I like professionally doing at this moment? Yeah. Okay. But also I... like fun stuff too. <laughs> Whatever you want to tell us is totally yeah. fun. Uh, well, in this moment, I'm an assistant professor at the University of Alabama. Roll Tide. Um, you say outside so- of that, in the- oh, go ahead. You say that so so easily. <laughs> I, listen, I've been practicing as someone from Michigan. Um, the first time I came here, and everyone's like, "Roll Tide, Roll Tide." My heart was saying, "Go, go blue, blue, go blue." <laughs> um, so it's it's really it's taken some practice. <laughs> Okay, um, so this is always a fun one. What did the young Jacqueline want to be when she grew up? Or did you always say from like age six or age eight, I want to be a professor? No, I wanted to be a dentist. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so did this start off like, did you go to dental school and then realize you didn't like messing with people's mouth and teeth or so what panned out with obviously you're a professor but tell us about um it. yes okay so I was always very jealous that my sister got to go to the dentist every month because she had braces and I didn't at the time um and so I think that's where it started because I wanted to do everything my older sister did and so that's kind of where it comes from and then I went to undergrad and I said you know what I'm gonna major in biology and do pre-dental and I took my first bio class. It was great. I did great. I took my second bio class. I didn't do great. And I said, <laughs> maybe I need to rethink this. Um, and it's funny because the same time I took that bio class, that second bio class, is the same time I took my first communication class. Mm. And it was interpersonal communication. And it was the mix between, like, uh, maybe dentistry isn't the way to go. And also, Interpersonal communication is pretty cool. Maybe that's the way I want to go. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I, I'm like, I think we have had people who have wanted to be like natural scientists, but I, I think you are the first. I want to be. I wanted to be a dentist. I think so. Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into, and we'll see if this follows. But can you give us an elevator pitch on your research, um, your research areas, interests, et cetera? Okay, yes. So the overarching research interest is interpersonal communication. Um, but specifically, I'm more interested in how people communicate social support to victim survivors of sexual assault. So what's the best way to tell someone you're there for them when they mm-hmm. have told you that they've gone through a sexual assault. Um, In addition to that, I've done some work with pedagogy and that's kind of a a place I'm looking to explore more with my research. Mm. Specifically, like, you know, what makes an inclusive classroom? What can professors do to be more welcoming to students so they feel 
you know, that they can speak up in class because mm-hmm. when students feel welcomed in class, studies have shown they do better in class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so let me ask a follow-up and that will be the trend for the morning, a lot of follow-up okay. questions. Um, so when you look at the social support and how to communicate with those who have experienced sexual assault, are you talking, are, are you conducting research with, with maybe peers or family members or like healthcare providers or mental health um, care providers? Are you looking at kind of the holistic thing or tell us a little bit about sort of the process of mm-hmm. who's involved in your research? Yeah, so previous studies have shown that most victim survivors initially disclose to a family member or a friend. Um, I think it's like 80% of the time they disclose to a family member or a friend first. And so with my research, I'm looking specifically at romantic partners. Mm-hmm. They kind of fill that gap between like friends, but also family. Um, and the goal is to eventually take that information and bring it to healthcare providers, bring it to um, domestic violence shelters and be like, here's what I've learned you know, please spread the word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another follow-up question, then I'll stop talking for just a second. Um, when you look at this and how you got involved in this sort of research in terms of interpersonal communication, was there something that, because um, you were talking about the classes that you had taken, was there something that drew you to interpersonal calm versus say family communication or human communication or other types of kind of areas within the very broad field of communication or health yeah. communication okay this is this is really embarrassing um but I was having some friendship troubles at the time and I, it was just so nice to see how it applied everything I learned in class and I was like oh so you know my friend is doing this kind of listening skill I'm doing this kind of listening skill and it makes sense when we're having such a hard time to communicate because our listening skills are clashing and then that's leading to stonewalling and defensiveness. Um, so that's what really drew me in initially. And then, so the next semester was like the research methods class. And I was thinking, you know what? I haven't dated in a long time. I want to research flirting. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like what got me down the rabbit hole of like romantic relationships within interpersonal. Okay, but those are, I mean, I feel like what you're talking about is very relatable to a lot of us because oftentimes we're doing what we're doing because of something that we've experienced or witnessed or observed. So, so that, that's a good story. I like that. (laughs) And what I'm hearing is that like, you should go to class because you might learn something that applies in in real life. That's right. Yes. 100%. <laughs> and other key takeaways. Go to class. Go to class. Okay. So w- one question I have is, c- can you operationalize? I don't want to do that. Um, can you talk about what social support means? Is it is it kind of within communication or is it more than just the like communication process oh 
That is a good question. I should really have like my dissertation pulled up for this kind of question. <laughs> um, so for me, I'm kind of looking at a communication perspective and like what exactly are the messages people are saying when they're trying to give support? Mm-hmm. Is it an emotional supportive message? Is it a functional supportive message? And so I'm trying to figure out almost like the, not necessarily typology, but just trying to mm. figure out the type of social support. And then the next step, of course, is to go into, okay, but what kind of effect that have mm. on the person receiving it? Um, so I've done a little bit of both. And my dissertation's kind of on both, where like I asked partners, romantic partners, what kind of support did you give? And then I asked the victim survivor, how did you feel getting that support? Mm. And overwhelmingly emotional support so messages that you know appeal to the victim survivors emotions were the most effective so saying things like oh I believe you I'm really sorry this must be difficult to talk about I can see you're upset about this I would be upset too those kinds of things were ways to legitimize their feelings and what happened Mm. so were you doing interviews yes okay so did you find, and this is, okay, so this is a question about be- being a researcher, but so much more. Um, did you find that you ever were also providing that social support when you were conducting interviews to either the partner or the survivor? Um You know, we always talk about like, as a researcher, you should remove yourself from the research uh, experience and you're just an objective data gatherer. But that's like really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially with this topic. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, I did find myself putting myself out there a little more in these types of interviews. Um, Just because it's it's such a sensitive topic that Mm -hmm. I think the more you can relate to it and the more you can like show the person that you actually care mm. about them as a person and about the topic and mm. not just about the data, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. more they were willing to speak about it. Which I think is like super important, right? Because there's so much already with like a distrust in research and, mm-hmm. and distrust in researchers. And so I think that it, when, when we talk about research as kind of that, removed person um then it it really does a disservice to the the profession of being a researcher but also more importantly the people who were asking to give us their experiences oh yeah and like you know my interviews were i was asking difficult questions Mm. um and they were long and you know, if somebody approached me on Reddit, right, because I did some recruiting on Reddit and said, hey, do you want to do this research project? I'd say, hell no. <laughs> that sounds like so much work and so much emotional labor. Mm. Uh, so for me, it was just really important to remember, you know, one, that these are people who are putting in emotional work that, mm. you know, I might personally have trouble with. Mm. And then two, that there's a reason you're doing this research. Like, yeah, you want to graduate. Yeah, you want to get publications. <laughs> but like... Mm-hmm there's a reason that I'm doing this type of research. You know, I want to make sure that people have the resources that are, you know, supported by research. Mm -hmm. So Jacqueline, it sounds like with what you're doing, you're 
coming up with findings that are definitely going to contribute to what we know theoretically and methodologically, but it also sounds like it's going to be quite applied and have, um, you know, these practical outcomes that could be shared with healthcare providers or family members. Is that a part of what you do or do you like report on your findings and then other people do that piece of it? Um, That's the next step. I haven't taken that step yet, but that's the next step of where I want to go with this type of research. Uh, Because like like I said, it ends up being 80% of victim survivors disclose to a friend, but there's also 20% that disclose to people who aren't friends, who are Mm. law enforcement, who are nurses or doctors who are counselors mm-hmm. and they need those resources too mm-hmm. and i mean i i may be stepping out on a limb here but i can i can see some parallels also with as you mentioned uh social su- support and even being in a classroom whether you have students who are disclosing something such as sexual assault or even the, the students who just don't feel welcome in a class. So the, the social support and in, in interpersonal communication is just hugely important for a, a lot of, a lot of areas. Oh yeah. Yep. So when you were working on your dissertation, tell us a little bit about that process because when we're doing interviews versus you know, Qualtrics surveys, it's going to take a heck of a lot longer. So did you find yourself, um, because I think for most people who have done a dissertation or in the middle of doing a dissertation, you get into it and you're like, what the heck am I doing? You know, because it just seems to be never ending. So can you tell us a little bit more about that experience for you? Maybe you can whip in some hope and optimism. (laughs) I mean, the answer is like 10 out of 10 would do it again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, it was, it was tricky and it took a long time to recruit because again, you know, I'm asking people to do, so here's how it was set up. Um, The first interview was between the partner and the victim survivor. Mm. And then there was a follow-up interview with the victim survivor. And so I'm asking people to do one or two interviews, depending on who they are in the relationship. And those one or two interviews are roughly an hour long. Mm. Um, So I can see why some people might have been turned off by participating. Mm -hmm. So at first it was difficult. But once, once I had one person who agreed, it just suddenly like started coming in. There's mm. another person and another person and another person. Um, and that was overwhelming, but in such a good way to see that people are excited to talk about their experiences. Mm-hmm. And the, the number of people who I interviewed who said, you know, I wanted to talk about this because it's important. I wanted to get my voice out there. Uh, I wanted to share my experience was just so heartwarming. And, you know, it was really reaffirming as to like why I'm doing this project. Mm-hmm. Um, so that process at first was really difficult because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to meet this deadline because mm-hmm. I'm not finding people. But then once it started, it like, you know, when it rains, it pours, but like 
when it rains good things it pours good things mm. yeah oh stop that's like a good episode title <laughs> thank you <laughs> so okay so, that, that may be the episode title <laughs> for, for, for real um so at, at I find it to be not too, 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 too challenging, but still a little overwhelming to clean and organize survey data. How do you like keep track of and just do organizational tasks, which is like not the fun part, right? It's not the fun part of, uh, and I mean, fun is relative, but it's not the engaging (laughs) part of conducting interviews and then getting deep into the analysis. But I found last semester when I was teaching um, a research methods class and we had 30 interviews and they, I mean, I told them to make them 30 minutes and they ended up being five minute interviews. I don't know what happened. Um, But even that amount of data was, was challenging to, to kind of organize um, and look through. How do you, do you have any tips or strategies for just the kind of organizational part of qualitative research and interviewing uh get highlighters that are multiple (laughs) colors (laughs) get sticky notes that are multiple colors um there was this website I used and I can't remember what it was but it was fantastic for multiple colors as far as like themes and then you could add keywords and then you could type in a keyword and see all the the transcripts that mentioned that and so that was, mm-hmm. I'll, I will find this mm-hmm. for you and I will send it to you so you can mention it later but it was a great way to stay organized but mm-hmm. if you're going to do it by hand I recommend 10 out of 10 having some kind of big space in front mm-hmm. of you so you can keep putting like stacks of interviews and see it as it um, comes to life mm-hmm. and then using those multiple sticky notes multiple highlighters um, I'm a big concept map kind of person. So mm-hmm. when you're, you, you know, when you're in like third grade and they say like, you know, draw a cloud around this word, the word love, and then have like little lines come from this cloud and write all the things associated with that word. The number of maps I made like that is wild. And like, it, it stunk because sometimes I'd make a map and I'd be like, yeah, this is really good. And then the next day, I'd look at it and be like, nope, mm-mm. <laughs> I did all that work for nothing. <laughs> um, but keep those, keep those maps because mm. you'll come back to them and say, okay, no, no, no. There is something good in here. I can take this part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I'm just a visual person. So having bright, colorful things that I can hold on to and touch was very helpful. Mm. And also, oh, sorry, real quick. One more piece yeah, of advice. Yeah taking a break from the data so that your brain can just rest and do the work without it being exhausting. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a reason we have shower thoughts, right? Mm. It's because you're doing some (laughs) kind of like mindless task without Mm. your phone. And that's just the time for your brain to just shut off and do the behind the scenes work. So I'm, I'm big into rest. You know, it's, funny not funny again I'm using all these funny words um I was I was doing like a class assignment once that was kind of getting into like talk about uh, a time when you had a conflict and how you negotiated it blah 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 
And after I completed the assignment, I had like a extra paragraph on it. And I was like, I am tired because it does like, you're right. Thinking and, and sifting and critical thought, it takes so much effort. Um, And if we don't kind of, even if we're just, just sitting there doing that work, um, if we don't make time for the breaks, I think it can be really challenging to continue. Yeah. And like, I know specifically with the topic I was working with, you, you got to learn how to not compartmentalize, but mm. just, I guess for lack of a better term, compartmentalize, mm-hmm. you know, your research life and then your personal life. Cause mm. there were some days I'd get done with an interview and I was just overwhelmed with emotion mm. and it I just didn't want to do anything the rest of the day yeah <laughs> so yeah those breaks became really important mm. so Jacqueline when you think about kind of the future since you're relatively new to being an assistant professor when you look at the future and you're like all right here are all the things that I want to do um do you see yourself kind of diving into other areas of interpersonal communication or do you feel like there's still a whole lot that could be done in in the area that you're in yeah for me there's a whole lot to be done in this area mm-hmm. um both like theoretically methodologically and like the subject matter i think there's a lot i want to do with it um and i think too you can even extend it into how this affects things like title nine right Mm -hmm. and how we can um train professionals like the title nine coordinator to like be more supportive not that they're not being supportive but you know to have those supportive messages uh so for me there's just a lot of area there's a lot more area to uncover with this topic Mm. you know that's it's uh, i'm not gonna say funny it's interesting (laughs) that when I was working on a social work internship, um, we were talking about trauma-based responses and trauma-informed responses. And it was almost always related to the way services are provided. But what we didn't talk about um, and and kind of think about protocol-wise and training-wise was the actual communication part. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a big hole there and there's a big gap. And it's not just when we're, when we're working with um, victims, survivors, like the, that social support is hugely important. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we get to the the fun part of the podcast, Jacqueline. Um, And this is where we get recommendations from you. Um, that we're going to share with our listeners. No pressure whatsoever. We've gotten a range of, uh, of answers here. So what TV show do we absolutely need to watch? Or what is your favorite TV show? Oh, everyone needs to watch How I Met Your Mother. And then think about how it relates to interpersonal communication. <laughs> 100%. So you should, like, create this course if it's not <laughs> created right now. because that would it should that should be like a huge I want to take that class course 
So there, yeah. there's your challenge in all your free time. <laughs> create a course. Is create a course based on what you just said. Okay, next question. What are you listening to right now? Oh, um, excuse me. Usually I'm listening to podcasts. I love My Favorite Murder. Um, (laughs) I don't know. They're funny. And I I think it's an interesting way to talk about something so grim. Mm -hmm. Um, But music-wise, oh, no, I'm so sad. So usually I'm listening to Panic at the Disco, but unfortunately they're disbanding they announced it last tuesday um the lead singer's gonna have a baby so oh i'm I'm sadly listening to them and reminiscing being nostalgic and so oh yeah love a good panic at the disco album (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) so what book is on your nightstand or what book would you recommend we all read um well right now i'm reading a little life by Hanya Yana oh geez Yana Gahara and I am 30 pages in and it's 700 pages long so I could not tell you what it's about (laughs) um I just all my friends have read it and they recommend it and they say you know buckle up it's a sad one Mm. that's what's on my nightstand right now that's pages of sad yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) Um, but as far as book recommendations, my favorite book of all time is called Speak, and it's by Lori Hulse Anderson, and it's actually a movie, I think, I think Kristen hmm. Stewart's in it, hmm. um, but 10 out of 10 would recommend. It's also sad, but in, a, <laughs> in an empowering way. Ah, okay. All right, last question is, if you, if your life was a reality show, or if you could pick a reality show to be on what would that be oh this is <laughs> and, and you can say naked and afraid because one of our other guests did yeah. um so nothing is is off off uh, out of bounds here i <clears throat> excuse me so one more cough sorry no nope. <clears throat> all right we're back <laughs> um my guilty pleasure show is love is blind nice okay. and i don't know if you know what it's about but basically it's they pair people together well it's like speed dating but you can't see the other person and after like a week or two you have to get engaged <laughs> yeah yeah um so, so while i'm not interested in that the uh interpersonal communication person in me is very interested to see you know how those dates go and what are people asking and why are they asking and um I don't know could I make someone fall in love with me in two weeks okay okay so I think that you need to actually expand the how I met your mother in our personal (laughs) communication course to also include love is blind and I think I think that you would have students signing up right and left. I think so too. I'm I'm there. I'm very excited about this now. <laughs> well, Jacqueline, it has been um, so nice to be able to talk to you in this podcast and hear more about who you are and what you do. 
thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. All right. Thanks.